Welcome back to part two of my interview with Simon Foster and Dan Barrett of the Screen Watching Podcast. If you've just joined us at this juncture, then stop, do not pass go or collect $200. Instead, head straight back to download and listen to part one, then come on back for part two. For everyone else, we rejoin the conversation with Simon sharing his thoughts on why podcasting is such a powerful medium in the context of audio that influences people, as well as hear these two gentlemen battle it out for the title of The Greatest Diary of a Crowdfunded Film Trivia Slash Genius. Enjoy. Chinkui. So there's there's also an element of our podcasting that almost brings it full circle back to the um, radio show um, family gathered around the wooden box element that that hmm. started off radio. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and and um, that's when uh, you're listening and it's a very personal experience. That's why some of the very best podcasts um, have very high production techniques or. or, or um, things like the the serial podcast or the mm-hmm. um, the Mark Marin podcast, which use very sort of intimate audio techniques to to really get into your head and really engage with the listeners in a way that radio, which is often even when you're tuned to what you want to hear on radio, it's still background noise. There's still the rest of the world going on around you. As Dan points out, this the podcasting is often a very solitary experience, and and I guess that to a certain extent is why. Um, uh, forums and discussion groups and online panels discussing podcasts and bringing podcasts together have really boomed because then there is that community element, that shared element that has to come together at some point because that's not happening in the, in the listening of it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things to think about is, and just speaking about community, I've got listeners who were listening to my old podcast, Televised Revolution, since the mid-2000s, mm-hmm. and they're listening to Screen Watching now. Like They've followed me through, and I'm really thankful to these guys for yeah. supporting me the way they have over the years. But these are people who I probably never would have encountered in real life. But I have met a few of them over the years because, you know, they'll just be around, they'll see me somewhere and come over and say hi. Oh, but like these are people who are generally they find through the intimacy of podcasting a sense of community. They feel that they're part of a broader and with my podcasting, I've always had Facebook groups and other community elements there. So there's always a mechanism to facilitate a community building around it. Yeah. But they feel that they're part of that community because there is that intimacy. There's a sense that they can contact us as hosts quite like with great ease and hear our thoughts and opinions and we'll talk back to them be very active in maintaining that conversation and they'll follow us through. And if you think about that in like a radio uh, sort of context, people listen to radio celebrities and some uh, radio presenters and they'll listen to a presenter for years and years. But if that presenter isn't there for one week, like they might be a little bit disappointed, but you can mm. sever that quite easily. Mm. I've had many months off between podcasts at various points in my life, but that community still stuck with me and found me in my next venture as it went on. And I don't think that's necessarily strictly true for a lot of radio relationships between radio and listener. I think in my case, um, any listeners will just be consistently disappointed because they have me every week. But what I wanted to, <laughs> what I wanted to touch on though, was there's an element then that transmedia, you know, it's something that um, I kind of was a buzz, I think around 2015, 16, because it was so, you know, I think UNSW is still is doing some courses on transmedia. Mm. And I go into that because I feel and both of you are more than qualified to correct me on this, which is why I want to ask this question. Do we do enough of it? So especially with a podcasting medium to breach additional um, or broaden in an audience from, you know, a, a, a product, whether it's a film um, or a television series, 
And do we have the capacity to do, you know, what Star Wars did? I know that could be maybe budget driven, but do you think there's potential for Australia to really start embracing what we can do with transmedia or this has already happened and I'm just, you know, really far behind on what's out there? I mean, in a sense, that's kind of what we were doing with that Handmaid's Tale podcast, which okay. is that we've got a TV program on the air and we were looking to connect with people in different ways. So we were doing that through the web with regular recaps of the show, with articles that furthered themes about the TV show, that explainers as to, hey, the show referenced the um, Ronald Reagan, uh, what's the ad campaign he ran in the mid 80s? It was uh, Good Day for America or something like that. I forget the actual mm-hmm. name of it. But like, I remember writing an explainer about what that ad was all right, about. Okay. In an Australian context, we didn't really understand that. Like there'd be a lot of people who that sort of went over their heads. So it was providing sort of greater textual themes to it. And then as the podcast on the side, like that kind of is that transmedia. But I'd say that that podcast is probably a little bit unique where there's not a lot of that going on. You, mm. Yes, you do find that say with Farmer Wants a Wife on Channel 9, There'll be articles in the 9.0 newspapers and websites that will have sort of recaps and try to create enthusiasm over what happened on last night's uh, show. And publicists at 9 would probably sort of feed stories through to various FM breakfast shows, but it's not really quite the same way. It's not part of a strict continuum of conversation and engagement with the audience over this one thing. So I don't know if that's strictly transmedia, but it also Mm. kind of is in a really sort of nefarious, um, disconnected way. First of all, I'm just amazed it took this long for Dan to work Farmer Wants a Wife into the discussion. It's funny. <laughs> I know, it's shocking. Yeah, it usually happens well before this. Um, I would also say that the the concept of transmedia, which I can't say I'm familiar with in, in any sort of complex way, but the, the concept of having, quote, unquote, a blockbuster podcast, and you can name the ones on, you know, two hands that have, that have really mm. broken out and, and been huge, both here in Australia and around the world. Even the term huge is a sort of relative term. Um, And this is an argument I've gotten into a few times with um, people who say that, that, you know, when when MASH finished its run, run, there were 3.7 million people watching that last episode. That wouldn't happen now because the media landscape is so fractured. There's just not that many people watching broadcast. Look at Dan chomping at the bit to say (laughs) something about you said 3.7 million. It was like 78 million people. It was that's like, what I'm. That, that's my point exactly. I'm totally guessing what the, what the numbers are. But <laughs> when you talk about when you talk about one um, uh, uh, broadcasting outlet having all those eyeballs, that just wouldn't happen anymore. Um, and yes, I guess you can quote sort of the blockbuster film numbers or some of the numbers that are coming through on Netflix. But there's still a fraction of what used to be the used to be the the norm for for the for the um in, in the entertainment business um and whether that can ever be achieved over any great length of time in the world of podcasting i don't know if it can be fair enough it's i think the fractured landscape will allow for a greater diversity and hopefully it has allowed and it continues sure. to do so um dan one last question do hmm. you see you know do you have any future projects for podcasting akin to the Handmaid's Tale one, or is perhaps there's like a, there's a dramatic or there's a dramatist lurking somewhere <laughs> looking to do an audio drama. So look, I mean, the Handmaid's Tale podcast came about because I was working at SBS in content yes. marketing there, and there was a very specific need for that kind of a podcast to come out. I've regularly got ideas for other podcasts, and you sort of mentioned like the sort of dramas her sort of idea. I was thinking, and this is going back about 
seven or eight years ago, that there was this great space for scripted narrative podcasts embracing the idea of the radio plays of yesterday and bringing it to a podcast medium. And I've still got a few ideas that haven't really quite been explored that, well, haven't quite been done yet that I think probably could actually get some traction. I'm trying to remember what your question was exactly, but um, like I've often got ideas around that kind of thing, but I'm probably more interested at the moment in just focusing on the podcasts that I'm doing at the moment. So we've got screen watching, which yes. requires a lot more time and energy than I really expected before we started this darn thing. Um, I'm right now thinking about the three screeners I need to watch now. It's nine o'clock at night. Oh, wow. Watch that before I go to bed so I can talk to Simon at eight o'clock tomorrow morning to yeah. knock out this podcast. Uh, but then I've got that, but I've also got this other podcast I do called the Oz Media Report, and that's yes. AUS Report. Um, and sorry, the Oz, yeah, Oz Media Report. And with that, I'm running it probably for six weeks, I think, for this current season of it. And every week it's talking to people from across the media industry in Australia, trying to bring context to some of the bigger, broader ideas that we discuss within the media. So I've had issues where we talked about the rise of QAnon within an Australian context mm-hmm. and how the media fuels that. Uh, there was episodes about um, just about podcasting and radio professionals finding their way into radio these days. Uh, as part of the second season, I recorded an interview with uh, Margaret Simons, who's a very well-respected uh, media writer and academic. And I was talking to her about the rise of Sky News in Australia and uh, how there's the general perception based off a news story that came out a couple of months ago that Sky News may not have massive TV viewership, but it's got a really big online reach. Mm. Uh, she did a bit of a study into this and found that's actually really not quite true. There's some articles, uh, some videos that they post to YouTube that do do remarkably well, but by and large, it's actually a pretty flat, um, you know, a couple of thousand people are watching each of these videos. So the concerns that a lot of people have around Sky News may not necessarily quite be there. So I talked to her for about 15, 20 minutes on the podcast the other day about that. And it's a really fascinating chat. I'm talking to this guy tomorrow afternoon for next week's podcast. It's a guy named Leo, and I've forgotten his surname all of a sudden. Uh, essentially, he's a guy that runs a online streaming news service called Channel 6 News. And he's, I'm not sure how old he is. I want to say he's maybe like 15, 16 years old. He's wow. a young kid and he looks every bit his age. And I've been fascinated by him because he keeps on coming up in my social feeds and people are always talking to him. And this week, YouTube banned him because uh, there's a lot of concern about COVID-19 denialism out there. Mm-hmm. And he had a series of stories on his news. He does a half-hour news show every morning wow. with video mixed in of various news stories and his opinion in there. And it's a really complex thing coming out from a couple of teenagers somewhere in Melbourne who are producing this uh, video. I don't quite know enough about it. I've got to get across a bit more. But YouTube banned him because he was presenting both sides of the COVID debate, if it even is a debate. And he was just saying that, you know, there were these negative things, but we countered that with correct journalism and we had like the right viewpoint, but YouTube still banned him. So he got onto some live streaming thing yesterday. I'm not even sure what he was streaming on exactly, but I saw it copied over to Twitter, which is how I saw it. And he's just like this really passionate sort of young kid. And he was talking with a very sort of um, adult vocab about the situation and the various ethics involved in that banning. And it's this really fiery, passionate speech. And I need to learn more about this kid. So I've got him on the podcast tomorrow and we're going to have a chat about that. So at the moment, I probably not necessarily want to play around in these ideas I have for other podcasts. Really, I just want to focus on these couple of podcasts I'm doing right now do what I can with them. And then I guess maybe sort of when their time's run, then maybe move on to the next thing. I'm passionate about podcasting generally, 
Yes. And I've got lots of ideas for podcasts, but at the same time, there's only so many hours in the day. Mm. I do two podcasts. I do a daily newsletter that goes out. I do a weekend uh, wrap of the newsletter. And then I've got my wife and some dogs that need walking and then Simon the, 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 and ego. And, you've got you know, the hydroponic garden out the back as well. You've got to, you've got to distribute that as much as that's my upcoming YouTube series, but we need some legalization happening before that ends up. <laughs> it's way out there. He doesn't, everyone. That is a joke. He doesn't have it out in the back garden. He has it in the laundry. Just sort of put it <laughs> one side. Yeah, as if I'd go outside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, it's a shame that he was banned from YouTube, but I mean, you got to get around the algorithms. Maybe he can throw in some like funny cat videos or something and then <laughs> boom. <laughs> Look, he was banned, but then he put in like a very passionate defense and they unbanned him a couple of hours later. But like it's a fun story. I, I love it. It's yeah, you know, it, youth, and that's what that's what youth is all about, and having that creativity and passion. And well, that's exactly it. I mean, like what he's doing, like he's got a passion for the news, and so a podcast probably doesn't make sense for him. But a daily YouTube series where he's presenting a news program, like you know, that's a passion thing for him now. And as I said, he's like a young teenager now. In a couple of years, and I don't know, I'm going to get to know him tomorrow. But in theory, like that probably sets him up for a career in journalism going forward if that's what he wants to do. Absolutely. And look, I am weary of the time, guys. Um, so I'm going to try to round this off. I know we didn't really get to screen watching podcast, but um, I want to ask one more question because, you know, passion is something that's so important. Um, and, you know, in my case, like yourself and Simon here at Diary of Crowdfunder Film, we search for the truth which like an onion reveals itself after many layers. And so is it true that some time ago you started an online petition to bring back the Golden Girls as an animated series? Oh boy, here we go. Because <laughs> yeah. I'd like you, if you could elaborate on this act of clicktivism. <laughs> okay, so this was a late night thought that I was having, which was there's a thing that happens in Canadian television where a sitcom will be... Well, this is what it stemmed from. So... In, in Canada, there's a number of TV shows, which you may have sort of stumbled across, but like, you know, they're never really the biggest shows in the world by any means. But there's been and a like, trend. You can't do that on television. That was, well, I mean, that was that. fantastic. Unfortunately, this one, that, one, that wasn't adapted. Uh, but sorry, I just had another thought then. Oh, sorry, I'm going to follow that up elsewhere. You just remind me of something very important that I need to do with my day-to-day newsletter business. <laughs> uh, but you've got this sort of thing where there's TV series, like say, for example, Corner Gas, uh, there was Trailer Park Boys, which people in Australia are probably a bit mm-hmm. more familiar with than Corner Gas, although Corner Gas did play on SBS on Friday nights for quite a few years there, but nobody saw it. Uh, but you've got these Canadian sitcoms, and for some reason, after a couple of years, they were able to get money to turn them into animated series. So Corner Gas, which is literally just about a guy who runs a local um, service station in the middle of you know nowhere in Canada... And he's got quirky people that stop by the store and he gets involved in quirky conversations with them. That's the extent of that program. It's now an animated series. And that makes no sense at all to me at all. But I was thinking about that. And then it dawned on me that there's probably like older shows from yesteryear that people are actually really passionate about that you could bring back as an animated series. And I thought about the Golden Girls. Like it's inevitable. There's going to be a Golden Girls reboot at some point. And I've got no interest in seeing that whatsoever. Like that just sounds like the worst idea in the world. Because that show worked because he had some very specific characters and mm-hmm. some very specific performances that brought it all out. But why not take the initial sort of idea, the conceits of those performances and animate them and bring them to a platform which could live on forever? And there's actually a show called 
uh, the adventures of gumball something or other it's like a water no, like a cartoon network show yes yes um, i'm familiar with it yeah you're more familiar with it than i am i suspect but there was an episode where they had some animated golden girls characters in it for like about 30 seconds like a bit of a throwaway joke but like i've floated the idea of the animated golden girls and then someone mentioned that to me on twitter and i took a look and it's like maybe not the animation style i'd be after specifically but you could actually see it there like it is a idea that would play remarkably well i remember could be an animated uh, sitcom but i put this uh, like petition out there and i just couldn't get the traction and here i am i remember when you i remember when you first brought it up dan and and um you were quite animated about it. You you were ringing me through the night with ideas and and um, um, going around handing out cards in shopping centres to people to get them to sign your petition. And you did that yeah. time in juvie because of it. So I'm, look, I was I was um, I was all for it. I signed the petition four times. Um, I think it was nine signatures. So that's almost half. <laughs> look, I'm, look. Thank you so much for indulging me with that because I couldn't help myself when I was you know, doing my PI work to try to get some some questions and That's have a bit of fun a with dive. this. <laughs> it is. Look, and, you know, they say life is but a series of moments and some trivial, challenging, but hopefully mostly memorable and positive. So they also say you can't spell trivial without trivia. So, gentlemen, for the first time in the history of this show, I'd like to end it with some film and television trivia. Oh. I haven't christened the title yet, so I'm open to suggestions. Well, let's see how Silence we go. Or off to a great be, start. It could be the bet. Let's see how we go. It could be um, Jose's awesome trivia contest or Jose's stupid <laughs> idea trivia contest. So let's see what happens. Or you could just hang around any trivia night and just like steal one of the many obvious ideas that regularly get thrown out. I think every trivia show I've ever been to, there's been a trivia Newton John. Good. Right. That's well, good. Um, for this one, I'm actually going to put a, a jacket on because... You know, for the listeners at home, this is great podcasting. No one can see me putting a jacket on. Oh, this is formal trivia. This is very interesting. No, no, I just felt like wearing a jacket. <laughs> uh, you've gone the, the black jacket over the black There we go. So I've just, okay. I've just well, tried to go black on black. So Sorry, if, if you're really sort of coming to the party here professionally sort of garbed up, I'm going to garb down. I'm going, to, I'm going to take off the hoodie and reveal my Condor Man t-shirt. I love it. Oh, well, and Simon's now fishing around. Okay, good, good. I like this. On. This is, it's already generating something of its own. Yes, that's and fantastic. I'm going to promote the Sydney Science to. Fiction Film Festival t-shirts. See. These Sorry. are available online through the Sydney Science Fiction Film Festival website. That is that is stock. That's a stock image. I didn't pay anything for that. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, oops, I just locked my microphone. What about yourself, Dan? Are you going to plug in for AWB or... Maybe oh, yeah. screen so, watching. Yeah. So if people want to check out the Always Be Watching newsletter, basically every morning I knock out a series of, I always say it's between eight to 10 stories, but it works out more about 14 or 15 these days. Uh, it's basically wake up, get your cereal, like sit down, you'll find a newsletter hit your inbox somewhere between 8 to 8.30 in the morning. And it is just a series of eight new stories that relates to the world of primarily TV, but a few like movie things in there. Anything that's on a screen gets covered in this newsletter. Five days a week, you get a bonus edition on Friday afternoons with a guide to all the movies and TV shows that have started streaming that week. Um, it's free. People can sign up at alwaysbewatching.com. And I do this little podcast with Simon Foster called Screen Watching. And people yeah, look. find that in any place that has podcasts in an app. 
I, if you get a chance, do read some of um, Dan's uh, Always Be Watching newsletters. They are, they are fantastic. I almost finished one just the other day. They're really <laughs> terrific. I'm reminded right now, Simon and I used to try to do podcast recordings late at night. And when I say late at night, I was about like eight, nine o'clock. Like and as I've been muttering away here, barely able to form coherent sentences, I'm reminded now why we don't do podcasts at nighttime anymore. <laughs> That's well, right. There were a couple of very special editions of screen watching, weren't they? Just like this one will be. Then look, gentlemen, I'll add that not only will you be playing for the title of the greatest diary of a crowdfunded film trivia slash genius and all the gloating rights that come with this venerative championship, <laughs> but you'll also be taking home a Platinum Paramount Edition DVD of a film that was lit, photographed by Emmanuel Lubezki, a.k.a. El Chivo, with a budget of $109 million and a worldwide take of 133960541 So maybe you want to take a stab at the dark, see who this might be. It's okay. I'll show you now. Paramount? Can, can you give it's, us a year or is that too much information? No, I can give you the year. The like year the is because I've got it right here. Oh, so it's pre-owned, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and my kids don't need it anymore, so it's good. Um, damn, where, you'd think it'd be easier to find a year and I've got glasses mm. on. Does it help if it was produced by... I, I'm trying to highlight the best points, the best parts of it, like the cinematographer being El Chivo, one of the producers being Brian, Gra Brian Grazier. So I'll just... You're playing for Cat in the oh, Hat, gentlemen. <laughs> So, you know, by the look of displeasure on your face, I knew you two could truly appreciate this cinematic treat. So, <laughs> wow, that I, I remember seeing that. I remember seeing that at the movies. Um, and I remember they actually played one of the reels out of order. So you saw like the middle of the film at the start and then the beginning. Came, and, I, and nobody knew the difference. The audience, <laughs> they came out, the, the manager came out and apologized. And the audience just went, no, nah, whatever. <laughs> Play it. So this that may be the reaction we receive after these questions. So, gentlemen. Sorry, can I just ask some cut in the hat questions? Uh, this mm. film, did this come out pre or post Love Guru? Pre. That's good. Yeah. Okay. I still can't believe I watched the Love Guru ahead of Cat in the Hat. <laughs> he really has had trouble sort of maintaining his big screen career. Priorities. Old Mike Myers. And I'm a fan. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love him, but they were oh, tough films to watch. I do as well. I actually bought a print of Wayne and Garth walking to the um, like hockey theme donut shop. Yeah, it arrived in the post today. I'm very excited to put wow, this on. Wow, look at you! Yeah. in the '90s. So I'd like you. You know, names will be buzzers as always. Sure. Don't pull any punches now because there is a great prize up for grabs. <laughs> and uh, as well so, as the DVD. No, no, that is it. Oh, <laughs> And the love of just these amazing questions that are coming up. So question number one. Sure. And just wait until I've read out the answer, read out the question, not the answer, obviously. Uh, so Faulty Towers only had a run of two seasons consisting of six episodes each. What year were the seasons first released? Simon. Um, Go ahead. I am going to say 74, 75. So... I'll give you one point because 75 was when season one was released on October 24th. Uh, Dan, I'll throw to you for a... Uh... Oh, look, I mean, like Falsy Towers is a big blind spot for me. So if season one was 75, the presumption would be that it's 76, but also I'm going to say 77. I'm going to say there was a year in between because it's British TV and they do that. Look, from the sources that I've, that I've obtained, it was supposedly Monday, February 19th, 1979, Ooh. that uh, it was released now i know that they 
it took them it was taking them roughly two months to write one episode um and i'm a massive faulty towers fan so you know i don't know if we can excuse that one <laughs> all right question number two so that one so one point to simon there uh you might get this one dan okay so which of the golden girls <laughs> appears in a 1999 action comedy horror involving a gigantic croc oh well sorry. oh i know oh, sorry okay i shouldn't have asked the question i should have just buzzed <laughs> so, i know it it's betty white and she stars in lake placid absolutely didn't come back for the sequel no, she didn't no. come back for the sequel, no. I think there was a third one as well, wasn't there? Like, There's well, a whole series of them on, yeah, in the like Deep Blue Jamie Hi-Fi right now. I presume that's next week's prize giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got enough money for this one. and that, my, my whole budget went for this. <laughs> uh, number three, what is the name of the character voiced by John Lovitz in the animated TV series The Critic? Sorry, Dan, I'm going to buzz in here. Now that I've worked out how the game works, I believe that would be Jay Sherman. <laughs> It is Jay Sherman. Now, for extra points, what is his full name? Ooh. That's a good question. Um, Look, I, d- I can't answer that, and neither can Simon. I know that. No. Okay, that's fair enough. And I wouldn't have known this either. It's Jay uh, Prescott Sherman the Fourth. <laughs> Thanks. <Okay. laughs> Moving on. What was the first film directed by a woman to gross over $100 million at the box office? Simon... Yes. Uh, Point Break didn't make that much money. No, I was going. I was going to say Catherine Bigelow had a, didn't do it. I, I might say The Piano by Jane Campion. Did it make it to a hundred million? See, yeah, I thought it was um, the Catherine Bigelow one, but actually, the answer is Big, directed by Penny oh, Marshall course. with Tom wow. Hanks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, first film, nineteen eighty-eight. Good one. Number five. Andre Brower, who plays Captain Holt in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, starred in which 2006 film directed by Frank Darabont? 2006. The Mist? Yes, but um, because you didn't say your name, Dan gets a point. Oh, come on! (laughs) (laughs) Number six, and we're heading into multiple choice, guys. There's only four more to go. And look, I thank you for holding up with this. Sure. What is the highest grossing horror franchise to date? Inflation not taken into account. Um, A, Halloween. So the Halloween universe. B, the Saw franchise. C, the Conjuring universe. Or D, the Aliens universe. Dan. Yes. Uh, the choice is actually F, the Police Academy series. <laughs> I would have gone that. <laughs> um, but I did buzz in. So of, of course, I'm going to say the... Saw franchise. It's actually no, it's incorrect. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's the Conjuring universe. Yeah, uh, I was gonna one point nine billion to date. Um, but I'm going to give you extra points for the Police Academy reference. Well, you're just giving away points now. What sort of trivia contest <laughs> is this? I'm clearly the smarter, and yet he's getting all the points. More handsome. Three more to go. So number seven, the first three D feature film was shown in what year? A 1933, B, 1922, C, 1955, or D, 1898? Dan. Simon. Okay. I already said Dan. Yeah, Dan. Uh, No, Simon. No. Uh, The 30s one. Uh, It was actually 1922. It was uh, The Power of Love, that five reels long, first feature. 
Uh, two more questions to go. Does anyone know the technology there? Uh, no. I'm sure you can find it in... It may have been appropriated in the British Museum. It could be there very likely. I'll get on that Wikipedia. <laughs> exactly. Complete this spoken line by Samuel L. Jackson's character in Deep Blue Sea. You think water moves fast. You should see A, fire. B, Tom Cruise in Days of Thunder. C, ice. Or D, Australia's NBN. <laughs> C, ice. Simon, C, ice. That is correct. Um, and actually, I love the thing that it's the, the actual uh, line is you think water moves fast, you should see ice, it moves like it has a mind, like it knows it killed the once the world once and got a taste for murder. It's, uh, I love it. Samuel Number L. Nine. Jackson, is there nothing he can't do? Actually, there no. is nothing he can't do, he does everything. Absolutely. The second last <laughs> question, gentlemen, <laughs> and then the nightmare is over for you. The flux capacitor in the DeLorean requires how much electrical power to operate? Simon, <laughs> 1.21 gigawatts. Yes. Uh, Simon, I think you'll find the actual answer is the power of love. Ah, <laughs> and the final question, and please let me get through the options because I scoured, you know, and appropriated many answers just to, for this to come up. Uh, so what is the name of Quint's shark hunting boat in Jaws? A, the Codfather. B, the Orca. C, Aquaholic. Or D, Cirrhosis of the river. Oh my god! You want it, Dan? No, I really don't. <laughs> well, it's the orca, but I love the other ones. How much research did you actually do to come up with the other ones? Because they're great. Uh, the look, there's a little site called. Uh, I'm giving someone a plug who you know is probably going to regret this, and not for any reason. It's just it took me hours, and eventually I came up to a site with I think it was Boat Australian Names, and it had all these funny names. So you know. It's brilliant. Look, gentlemen. Well played, sir. Well played. I, that was great. I lost track of who was winning. <laughs> um, so I've seen the prize. You can have it, Dan. So no, exactly. Here's the thing. Well, no one knows exactly who won, so it would be unfair for either myself or Simon to take this prize. So maybe it carries over to the next. Lovely. Episode. I love it. It'll carry on. It can be the, the carry on, you know, the carry over crappy prize. Plus, um, I know for a fact that Dan doesn't have a DVD player. He's anti-physical <laughs> media. So that's that's where that little bit of uh, uh, goodwill comes from. And because I know um, I'm, you know, and it was just an excuse for me to just get the address of you guys. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So look, Simon, by default, the two best words in the English language, default, you can have. <laughs> I'll send it to you. Um, look, guys, thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. I hope that, you know, you found it to be of some value and that especially the people that are listening have enjoyed hearing, especially putting all jokes aside, what you guys are doing. Matthew Eel said there's a handful of people in Australia who are kind of podcasting and really talking about cinema and television and media with such passion and, you know, with obvious knowledge, Whether and you guys will joke about that, but the decades of experience that you guys bring and the passion, it really transcends what we hear. And it's what allows us to continue enjoying um, and celebrating cinema in this country. So, you know, thank you for what you guys are doing and everyone of that ilk. Oh, no, I thank you for, for putting this together for, for um, sort of championing, that's a tough word to say this time of night, but championing um, what we do through what you do and we, we really appreciate it. So we're honoured to be on here. Look, I mean, it's very nice of you to say. I didn't hear the word handsome once in that though. So. <laughs> that's true. He didn't say handsome. I am a bit upset about that. With a, the do a dose of double handsome from the duo
screen watch podcast please check them out (laughs) it is too late thank you so much guys and to everyone else you know until next time ciao thanks for listening to diary of a crowdfunded film subscribe to hear all future episodes and if you enjoyed the show leave us a review for more info please visit diary of a crowdfunded film on facebook